0: Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be responding to this short video by R.C. Sprell, How Can God Regret Doing Something? I got some ideas. I, I got ideas how this could uh, this could be true.
1: Hi, good morning, Dr. Sprell. I'm, how I'm you. A- I'm Carolina. I'm from Portugal. (laughs) Um, So my question is in Genesis 6, 6, says the Lord regretted that he made man on earth. And so my question in this is how can the Lord regret something if he knows everything from the beginning?
0: Now, I like this girl. She's tracking on an intellectual... Uh, level. So she, she came across this problem and she's like, this is a serious issue. There, there's a conflict going on here. And R.C. Sproul, let's see how he diffuses this question.
1: Okay. <clears throat> Thank you very much for that question. It's a very good question, a provocative question. Obviously, if we, if we look at the whole context and teaching of sacred scripture, we know that it's utterly impossible for God to regret anything.
0: oh right uh so where in the bible is that a lot of times these calvinists they they appeal to the overall writing context of scripture and by that they mean their own philosophy they don't have any real proof text they have done no textual analysis on the proof text that they do provide and it's it's just absurd it's so so absurd it's just like ah can you guys read the text just read the text and uh just let the text mean what it says they can't do it and all these secular scholars will read the text with this unbiased attitude and they'll these guys will dismiss them like oh they're just biased they just want to prove christianity or where are they getting these ideas from it's not like they're just making up nonsense out of nothing they're not pulling it out of a hat that they're they're getting the ideas from somewhere so just a appealing to this overriding context they do it all the time and you ask them for proof texts, you shut them down instantly they can't provide the proof text
1: including the making of uh, this uh, corrupt and rebellious uh, uh, creature called mankind
0: <laughs> so god created a creature to be rebellious that he knew was going to be rebellious he wanted this creature to be rebellious this is this is the idea That uh, creation was meant to be fallen. And God says, I looked out on all creation and it is all good. No, he he made it to be broken. He made a broken creation.
1: But the Bible speaks in human language.
0: (laughs) So the Bible says stuff, but we just ignore the Bible. And uh, we just default to our philosophy. And you hear this over and over again. That uh, I was talking to this Calvinist the other day about how Calvinists are like Gnostics. And the Gnostics had the Old Testament God as being maybe this lesser divine creature who thought he was God and created a corrupt and fallen world. The Calvinists do this other thing where they just undo every story in the Old Testament about God. God does not exist. God does something, like uh, God creates man and then repents of it. And the Calvinists will say, that's just baby language. He's just... He's just trying to talk to us in language that we would understand. That didn't actually happen. So they will make the Old Testament God fictitious. They'll turn it into mythology. And that in that way, like the Gnostics, they erase Yahweh of the Old Testament. And this Calvinist I was talking to, he is getting very, very angry. And he's like, no, that's just, this." he does the R.C. Sproul thing. He's like, no, that's just God talking to us in our language. I'm like, exactly. That's literally what I'm accusing you of doing. Uh, undoing the God of the Old Testament because of philosophical concerns. You look at the language and you say, that can't be true. And then you have to have some way to mitigate that text, to say that that text is not an actual description of God. That's what they do. That's what they do. So one point of commonality between Calvinists and Gnostics is their desire to relegate the God of the Old Testament to a non-real God, not, not true God.
1: On many occasions as calvin said god stutters when he speaks he stoops to our level
0: it's a stuttering it's just stooping. and when i talk about the god of the old testament you know the old testament is a lot longer history in the world than the new testament new new testament is very very snapshotted and it's very focused on the characters in the text so so yahweh god doesn't take a major role but i suspect if he did he'd look a lot like the god of the old testament which yahweh takes primary, front, and center roles. But uh, the Calvinists, they look at this, how God describes himself, how the narrator describes God, how people describe God in the Old Testament. And they just pull out the little clips, the little, little tiny phrases that they really want to believe, and they ignore the larger narrative. Because the larger narrative would undo their ideas of who God needs to be.
1: And speaks to us as children. And so you'll read that the, the God owns the cattle on
0: a thousand hills. Well, does he? <laughs> does God own cattle on a thousand hills? And, and that could be a metaphor as well. And metaphor is different than baby talk. Goo goo gaga, I'm talking to my baby. Oh, and you, you talk nonsense because you're just trying to play with them and poke them. A metaphor is something different. A metaphor is using parallel language to illustrate a concept where there's some Overlay some interaction between two ideas that will help illustrate or illuminate one idea by alluding to something that's familiar in another idea, or or else there's an animatic uh, speech where one thing over time in a culture has gotten a, a different connotation. Like if I say R.C. Sproul's elevator doesn't go to the top floor, that, that doesn't mean he. Uh, let's use Trump for example, because Trump actually own ele- owns elevators. So I say, uh, President Trump's elevator doesn't go to the top floor. That would be more of like a metaphor about his intellectual capacity. It's not about if he owns elevators or not. And he does own elevators. And uh, so it's an idiomatic speech. So one thing stands for another. That's not what they're claiming here. They're not claiming that this is an idiom. They're claiming that this is absolute nonsense, that the Old Testament just... Uh, dribbles a lot of nonsense that's not supposed to be taken seriously and for what to convince who of what and then they're gonna if if people uh, take it seriously and say oh God actually did repent here this baby talk meant to be for our understanding they'll say oh those guys are heretics for actually believing the baby talk that was used for our understanding
1: and we know that that is a uh, uh, language that is uh, symbolic and personification and we know that
0: God. Person- God's not a person. So it's personification when when you add uh, personal attributes to him. Uh, personifications have meaning as well. There, there, there's some sort of overlay with reality. So just calling something an idiom, calling it a metaphor, calling it personification, calling it uh, anthropomorphism. You know, anthropomorphism was like a literal, people would say, that guy's an anthropomorphite which meant that that guy believes that God has body parts. And so it's not a dismissive word as used back in the time of Augustine. It's a word to describe someone who believed that God had the features of a body. And it wasn't a word used to dismiss it, saying "saying this is a figure of speech called anthropomorphism. And uh, that means anything can be said about God and it could be just dismissed out of hand. No, it was, it was, it was uh, we're describing what people actually believed about God. And they were saying, yeah, I'm an anthropomorphite would be something that c- they could say easily.
1: But it's not literally a cattle rancher who comes down to the OK Corral every now and then to have a shootout with the devil.
0: Look at this. Uh, he's trying to dismiss it like, oh, it's so absurd. And let's do this shootout thing and OK Corral. Um, does anyone, did anyone get that uh, image when it says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Did, did anyone have that image pop into their head? Maybe this guy did, maybe RC Sproul did, but it seems to me that he's going out of his way to try to dismiss any contrary thoughts or any ideas that, uh, he doesn't automatically agree with by just trying to mock it, mock it out of existence. That seems to be his, uh. What he's doing here
1: and so even though the bible uses human language or what we call anthropocentric
0: look at this so again the calvinists are kind of like the gnostics uh they believe that you need a spiritual enlightening to see the truth of the text and uh, i quote calvin to this uh calvinist guy's talking about gnosticism I'm like yeah calvinists have a lot of characteristics in common with gnostics and one is appealing to a special enlightening to understand the text that i quoted uh calvin what he said about uh, one corinthians 2 something like that and uh, the guy's are like oh yeah you need a spiritual yeah you you literally believe in a gnostic enlightening and you literally believe that the god of the old testament doesn't exist you, you got all these characteristics are you trying to explain your beliefs to me I was just reinforcing what I just said about you. That's what you're doing. It's it's not, you're not countering me. You're agreeing with me, and I say yes, exactly. That's what you do, and that's what I'm criticizing you for doing. Oh, it was a funny conversation. The guy quit. He just like he didn't know how to how to handle it because he, he he did like this uh, proof texting thing where he flips to Isaiah. And then I was like, okay, let's talk about Isaiah in context because they do this thing where they quote a verse and. You have to agree with what they believe in that text or they won't engage you. You'll say, that doesn't mean what you said it means. Let's go over the context of that. They won't want to. They're like, oh, you think Isaiah's lying? Ah, ah low, low intellect uh, conversations. You Sometimes you deal with these people. are like, I, why, why am I wasting my time? Why am I wasting my time? But R.C. Sproul, God is just using baby talk nonsense language and uh, we can't take it seriously
1: language to describe god including such anthropocentricities as stating that he has regrets god is immutable and omniscient he knows what he's doing from all eternity and he
0: knew what would happen before
1: it happened and so there's really no ultimate possibility
0: for regret so look at this appeal. He's he's not appealing to the immediate context of the verse that he's supposed to be dealing with. He's not dealing with Genesis, the narrative in Genesis, the surrounding context of Genesis. He's appealing to this overwriting system, this overriding philosophy that is imposed upon the Bible and that the entire Bible has to be interpreted in that text. Remember when we're talking about, uh, there's that uh, author who talked about how Bible stories need to be contextualized. Each Bible story creates its own concrete uh, individual world. That's how we need to treat the Bible. We need to treat the Bible in its immediate context without trying to do this proof text trumping thing where you try to grab some proof text from from somewhere else in the Bible by author who's unrelated and not even talking about the event at hand and trying to use it as an overriding proof text to undo a narrative. It doesn't work like that. That's not how we read the Bible. It's, It's not... It's not familiar to uh, reading comprehension how anyone reads any text ever except for the bible because people really want the bible to mean what their philosophy says
1: right again that's speaking in anthropo- anthropomorphic language that is language in human form because we are anthropoi we are humans and that's how god speaks to us in our language but again it's that uh, that uh, the bible in these uh, narrative stations
0: so notice the special pleading as well i mean i could come to the bible let's say that they have all their proof texts and i just say oh those are petromorphisms, those are uh, idiomatic language that shows strength in god and, and that's actually a thing where like uh, you got the wrestler called the rock and why is he called the rock it's not because uh, yeah, he's he really likes geology. It's because rocks symbolize strength. So that's actually a real idiom. so like a petromorphism if I started to claim that their proof texts were were that type of uh figure of speech. That'd be more legitimate than what they're doing. They're just saying any verse that I don't like is just a nothing. We just ignore it. And it doesn't have any meaning. And uh, there's nothing useful from it. And if you believe it, uh, you're a heretic.
1: Uh, statements like that will then balance it out later in the didactic statements and say God is not a man. That he-
0: <laughs> the didactic statements. So the didactic statements come from uh, the false prophet Mel. And it comes from Samuel in the context of God repenting of making salt cakes. So those are the didactic statements from characters in the text, not the narrator. But when you got the narrator talking about how God is a God of repentance, and uh, he doesn't like those didactic texts. Those don't count.
1: He should lie or that he should die or that sort of thing. So I think that's just a matter of literary understanding.
0: (laughs) Thank you. No, don't, don't thank him. Don't thank him. You're doing so good. You're doing so good. Come back. Come back. Give an a next follow-up question. Take him to task. All right. So uh, leave a comment if you like the video. Start a thread. It got us open. We can talk about these types of things. And uh, thanks for listening.